0: Are you a pastor or ministry leader? Are your everyday ministry responsibilities taking a toll in your life? It's time to let God minister to you. Come away with your spouse and be quiet before God. Focus on the Family Canada has designed a seven-day retreat for couples in ministry. Come visit us at Carith Retreats, a quiet place to receive from God and deepen your connection to Him, your spouse, and your calling. Find rest, find renewal, find reconnection with God. Find out more at carithretreats.ca.
1: We all have difficult time, and sometimes we hold on the past that we fail to see the future. And that's what he taught me. He taught me the life of Joseph. Remember what he said, for what you meant for evil, God used it for good to save a life. And that's what I, my motto is, that how can I use my past not to dwell on it or drag me into the worst, but really learn it as a platform to learn so I can help those in need as well.
2: That's Peter Mutabazi, and he's joining us today to share his story of going from a child on the street to a foster dad. Uh, he's our guest today on Focus on the Family, and we're so glad to have him and you. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus president and author Jim Daly.
3: John, I shouldn't start at this spot, but it's probably a good place to start. I remember uh, we talked about our Wait No More program here at Focus on the Family. We got that going a few years ago. And it's really to lift up the idea of engaging in the foster uh, area mm-hmm. and to get more Christian families involved. And I remember we we did the broadcast, and I got home, and and Jean had heard it, and she goes, "Well, we if we're going to ask people to do it, we should do it." And I was like, "Wait a minute! I was a foster kid. I already paid. I've, I paid the
0: price, I've, man." Yeah, yeah you and you she just looked at me like, yeah.
3: "What? No way! If you're going to ask other people to do it, we've got to do it." So we did, and it's been such an amazing journey. I think. You know, we were doing foster for about 10, 11 years. We had, I think, probably you, know, 15 kids that came in and out of the house, and two kids particularly, were still engaged with them. They now live in Tennessee, but mm-hmm. uh, this past summer, we went out to visit with them, and we're kind of we've become like their you know pseudo- grandma and grandpa. <laughs> so it's great though, and mm-hmm. it's been so rewarding. I'm looking forward to today's program where we could hopefully encourage you to think about it. I mean, the Lord says, "Take care of the widow and the orphan." Here it is. Mm -hmm. So let's do it. Yeah, and we
2: have a great guest who's experienced a lot of life, and uh, his story is one of forgiveness and restoration and a lot of joy. Uh, Peter Mudabazi is an author and a speaker, and uh, his full-time job is being a single foster dad. He does a lot of other things as well. He's a father to Anthony, and he adopted that boy back in 2020, and uh, Peter has written a book that is really riveting. It's called Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth. We've got copies of that book. You can learn more about the book and Peter's story uh, at the website that's
3: focusonthefamily.ca. Peter, welcome to the program.
1: Well, thank you for
3: having me here. It's really (laughs) a joy to be with you guys. You have such a great story. I can't wait to unfold this for the YouTube watchers and the listeners. Um, Let's start with your childhood. I mean, people are going, okay, great. We've got this guy involved in foster care, you know, but there is such a story growing up in Uganda. Tell me about it.
1: Yes, yeah, so I grew up in a small little village at the border of Uganda and Rwanda and grew up poor of the poorest. Uh, it's hard to explain to an American, what, what does poverty really mean. You know, think about. So I was born and I wasn't given a name until when I was two years old. The reason was because for every 100 children were born, 60 would die before the age of two. So most moms didn't really uh, give names to their kids. They waited until they were two mm-hmm. and then they would give them names. I
3: mean, l- stop and, and let's think about that for a minute. Out of every 100 children born, 60
1: will not get to age two. Hmm? That should break our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so think about when you get malaria And you haven't eaten for days The survival, the rate of survival Mm. is really small Mm. So for me I grew up Didn't see hope, there there wasn't anything Around me that showed me There's a glimpse of hope in any shape form You know, uh, I didn't have a childhood because I had to Work so hard as a little boy And then at the age of four I began to realize That my father was different from Other dads, you know, he was abusive In every shape form you could imagine Towards me and my siblings And my mother as well, so for me I had two things against me. Poverty waiting for me outside, but my own father who was inside at home who made life miserable in every form you could imagine. So for me, I I really grew up. I didn't know how to pray, but one prayer that I think I knew, I wish I don't have to see tomorrow. Because today was hard enough that you didn't want to repeat it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the background that I really grew up.
3: Peter, in that regard, Mm -hmm. I mean, what you're saying there is a little boy, four years old, five years old, you had no hope for tomorrow. No. Nope. That is that is bleak. You ended up, you had a big decision
1: to make at a very young age. Correct. You what know? was it? So for me, you know, at age of 10, I thought, hey, look, I think my father is going to take my life, but why should I give him the opportunity to do so? So I think as a 10-year-old, I thought, look, I never want my father to bury my own dead body I would rather die in the hands of a stranger so I had never been 20 miles away and I went to the bus station and I asked the lady hey of all these buses which one goes the farthest because I wanted to go as far as I could Hmm. that he would never get to see me and you're 10 I'm 10 you know Hmm. and it wasn't like I was looking for hope I think for me it was like life is already ended but I would rather end it in the hands of someone else so I'd never been 20 miles away and I went 500 kilometers away and I ended up in Kampala and that's the Big city. Big city. It's a different language. I I didn't know what to do. But quickly, I realized that there were other street kids. So that became my life.
3: And part of your existence and survival was
1: stealing. Correct. Correct. Tourists were a mark for you? Well, tourists didn't come where we were because it was dangerous. You know, they didn't come in the marketplace. You know, we were in places where locals would buy food. Okay. You know, where all the buses come and offload and they use us to offload and do the labor, hard labor. And and that was how we survived. Stay busy, stay in a place where you are not isolated to be safe. Uh, So, marketplaces were the place we could find food. And you encountered somebody that showed you compassion for the
3: first time, or at least what you received his compassion what happened
1: well as free kids we had a strategy you steal while you're helping it's easier to take a banana when i help you to carry a banana a bunch of banana so i saw a man who was wearing glasses and khaki and shoes that was a clue for us that you can afford food you know so i followed him and as soon as i followed him he bought food and i wanted to carry it and he said hey no put my food down so i put it down and then he said what is your name And that really rattled me because for five years, no human being had ever asked me what my name was. Mm. Kindness as a street kid meant danger. So by him asking me my name was putting me in a place where I felt, hey, you're in danger. Prepare to run away. So that's kind of how I felt. So he gave me food before I could steal it, and he left, you know. The next week, he came back. The next week, the fourth week, I kind of knew what he drives, where he parks his car, and what time of the day he comes so i knew one day in a week i did not have to steal but also i had a human being who knew my name you know which was key i think hearing someone say where's peter i think it brought the memories of the ideas of what my mother would say peter Uh where are you so in some way brought those glimpses of you know remembering my mom because he would call me by my name
3: in your book you mentioned that um, as a street kid, you didn't have the sense or the capacity maybe to think about dreaming. Like, what could my life be? I would say that would be a dream. You know, what could I do? What, Where could I go? How did that interaction with this individual help you to start dreaming
1: about your future? Well, you, you couldn't dream. Remember, there were more than a th- you know, 3,000 know kids on the streets of Kampala. And we saw our colleagues die every other day. So Mm. at at 10, you're able to bury someone or see your colleague die because they ate something bad or acidic. Or we slept under the bus and the bus left without checking and there was a kid under, you know. So that was what your life, you waited, (sighs) when is my day? But he fed me for one year and a half. And here's why it made a difference. I had to trust him, you know, he had to earn the right in some way to know me. And then one day he said, hey, Peter, if you had an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go to school, you know? And I laughed at him because I was like, wait, why would I go to school? School is for people who dream. School is for people who have a future. School is for people who have family. School is for people who are worthy. I am none of that. So I said, no. I would not go because it's not for me. He's the best way I can explain to you. It's like me talking to you two and say, hey, they're sending people to the moon. Would you like to go? but but that's the depth on how i looked at life That that wasn't for me i could not go mm. to school so i said no so the next time he comes back he said hey if you go to school there'll be lunch dinner and breakfast literally i said what time do we go yeah, now it <laughs> makes a difference <laughs> exactly wow. Eat. no now he said the language that i understand right. or the need the basic need that i needed the most is what he said. But two, I had never had two meals a day in my entire life. So for him to say there will be lunch, dinner, breakfast, I was like, that has to be heaven or it cannot be real. So I went to school more on this guy can – talk, but let me really go and see if that's mm. true. So I went and cleaned my face and, and put on the clothes he'd given me. And I had never had a pair of shoes until then. So he gave me a pair of shoes. And you're how old? Now I'm 16. 16 and never mm. had a pair of shoes. A pair of shoes before. He puts me in the car and he rolls every window he had because I think I smelled so Rolled bad. the windows down? You know, <laughs> uh, I smelled so bad, but he took me to school. Mm. But for me, it was more of I'm going to see if there's food. And sure enough, There was lunch that day, you know, and then dinner came and then breakfast. So in the process of waiting for the next meal, now I learned not to do what I wanted to do. For example, I wanted to steal. So the kids would go to classes because it was a boarding school. So I would gather things I wanted to take. But then before I could go, I would say, wait a minute, if I take them, I'm going to miss on the dinner. So then I'll put them back and wait for dinner. Uh-huh. So you see, yeah. one small thing led to staying longer and longer. So small by small, now I began to realize, like, wait a minute, I think I'm smarter than I thought, you know. Yeah, and no. the food was staying as well. It wasn't yeah. going away. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland
0: Several years ago a pastor contacted me with respect to a couple to whom he had been providing some marriage counseling This husband and wife had already separated and he believed the marriage was over However he noticed they argued about finances often so he referred them to me I connected with this couple assessed their financial situation identified that they had been violating many biblical financial principles I taught them God's word on finances They went through our in-depth biblical financial study, Financial Management God's Way, and God, through his word and his spirit, changed the way they manage money. As they learned and applied God's financial principles, the financial stress decreased and the marriage relationship gradually healed to the point that about one year later, they fell in love again. If you'd like to learn more about God's word on finances to protect your marriage, or if you would like to help save more marriages by supporting us financially, then go to our website, copelandfinancialministries.org. Again, CopelandFinancialMinistries.org. Make your strong marriage even stronger with Focus on the Family Canada's new marriage enrichment conferences and retreats. Based on the proven, biblically-based principles that come directly out of the Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Counseling Program, these principles provide couples with practical tools to create a more vibrant, intimate, and loving marriage. For registration details, call 1-833-TO-ENRICH or visit enrichyourmarriage.ca. That's 1-833-TO-ENRICH or visit enrichyourmarriage.ca.
2: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
3: Peter, th- this is amazing. I, I'm, I think I feel this like the listener or the viewer on YouTube right now. We're trying to absorb this because you don't look like your story. Right. Uh, f- kind of fast forward this. You continue with school.
1: Uh, he offers for you to go to the UK, correct? Well, no. So I finished high school, and then I went to university in right. Uganda, and then I went to university in England, in the United States. So, but I'm you're a little learning to read. Yes. I
3: mean, you're Correct. just learning to read and mm-hmm. write.
1: Yeah, I would imagine during your time in Kampala as a street kid, you're not taking classes. Correct. Yes. Right. So quickly, I and that's the change. You know, when someone sees the best in you, when you cannot see in yourself, he saw so us smart, but I didn't see it. I didn't know. But yet, he did not give up on me, and he saw mm-hmm. the best and wanted that to come out of my life in, in a way.
3: That's so amazing. And I think this man worked for Compassion International. Didn't Correct. He? So hats off to that group. I mean, they're doing it. And this guy certainly exemplified mm-hmm. that organization at its best. Right. So that is so, so good. So... uh let's move it forward. You get to the U.S. I'm sure – what's the synopsis of that again? You graduate from the U.K. Do you go back to Uganda?
1: Yes, I go back to Uganda, and then I came to California so to study here. So you immigrated here
3: to the U.S. How many years ago was this? Oh, 20 years ago. So okay. So 2002. So you're here, I assume, working away. And how did you get introduced to the foster concept?
1: Well – you know, first of all, I really struggled coming to the United States. I think seeing how much food was thrown away, I think I began to question God's love. Like, you can't love us the same way that others can have so much to throw away, but I will lose some of my families for lack of beans. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, I struggled with my faith. You know, and I went back to someone and said, hey, he, you know, read this. And I read Psalm 139, you know, for some reason, you know, I know he, it helped me see how David. He had so much to be grateful for. What does it say in Psalm one thirty nine? You know, uh, he describes on how God knows him. He knows when I sit down. He knows when I wake up. He knows. He knows every interest of what I do, even before a tongue is on my on my mind, He knows it well, and so he's seeing himself on how he's mirrors his image on how God sees him. You know, he says, "There's no way I can. If I go to hell, you're there. If I go under the sea, you're there," and that really helped me to know that. David didn't say thank you for the 300 wives you gave me, but he was grateful that he, God knows him when he walks. So he knows the kids in Uganda when they walk. He knows the kids in the United States. That it's not the stuff that is best on his love. It's how he created. And 14, he says, for you fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, and that really helped me to say, okay, you know, you know me that way. Well. Just the process of believing that. As crack. the street kid. Yes. That's amazing. Absolutely. But then on the other side, too, Luke 1248, too much is given much required. Mm. Then now that, hey, of all kids, I have been in 100 countries. I am the most educated human being you could imagine to live in the United States and use it for myself, I felt like I'd been given much in some way I needed to be accountable for it. So I didn't know they could allow me to be a foster parent because I had traveled over the world and I had never seen a black person who was adapting in my country or in you know, Ethiopia or in China. There were always you know, families that didn't look like me. So I thought, I don't qualify. So when I walked into foster care, I said, I wanna mentor teenagers. It's when the social worker said, hey, have you ever thought of being a foster dad? I said, no, I don't qualify. I'm single. She said, no, you can. And that day I signed up to be a foster dad. So I've had 34 children, adopted (laughs) one, and I'm also adopting the other two But because he showed me. But also I wanted to pay it forward for what someone had done for me. I know trauma in every shape Mm form that I knew I could be the best person to love on them and know where they come from, you know. Uh, he saw the best potential in me that I think foster kids need that as well. And I thought I'd be the best parent I can be. To you have. know,
3: and it's such a great example of receiving the blessings of the Lord and not taking them and then saying, Thank you, God. I must be a really lovable person. You turned it around in such a beautiful way to help others that were struggling in a country that has a lot. You know, even our foster care system, with all of its struggles and difficulties, there's still a lot. Okay. So in that journey, I mean, I, there's so many convicting points you're making in terms of us having so much. It, it must be mind-blowing for you to look at America with its Christian heritage
1: and go, kind of, wake up, everybody. Right. You know.
3: <laughs> go ahead. Unforc
1: it. Exactly for me. If you can read the scripture and go to that verse, to whom much is given, much is required. It, if he gave you the best family, that means at one time you're going to account for that. And I wanted to. He gave me the best in the life that I wanted to be accountable for everything. You know, I'm a foster parent, and it's my responsibility to be there for the kids in my community. It's not someone that it's not government. It is truly my, my opportunity and my joy to step up and do. You know, especially the God didn't say, hey, when you feel like help the kids, you know, he says, no, if you love me, if you love me take care of the list of these. And that's something I have to own and, and do, you know. It is hard, absolutely. But he sacrifices that, his life and died for us. What, how can I say fostering is hard when he lost his life for me? Like, that's where for me I think I get to see grace and mercy towards me. And there's no reason I cannot help a child. Like, there is no, no reason I can find in my DNA that can say, Peter, no. You know, yeah. people say, you know, I'm afraid to get attached. Well, we want you because attachment is what our kids need. You know, yes, it's hard, but that's what sacrifice means. I just
3: can't imagine, you know, you've adopted one. You have two more children that you hopefully will be able to go through the process. Right. And unfortunately,
1: I'm I'm the other four, you and, know, yeah. and if they don't find a home. But yes, think I'm of these kids
3: coming to your home and you tell the story. Their eyes must be huge
1: going, What? What did you live through? What? I mean, they must go, wow. Right, most <laughs> time is is more on when they have trauma and the, the behaviors they have. The when credibility
3: see, it brings. Up, except, that's the point. That yeah.
1: they can connect with you. Absolutely, you are them. Yes, yeah. so they're like you walked it, so you understand. But also, I know how to help them because I get it. If a kid is putting holes in my house, isn't because they dislike me? But He's man, there's so much they're in that they need to be helped. So for me to focus on the hole, I'm kind of missing the point. But really, the root of why a child are coming from and be there for them loving their parents too like it is really important for us not to judge their parents the kinship is important to be there for these farmers and say hey I know you love your child how can I come alongside and help you have your kids back and that takes (laughs) a lot of energy and not to truly be critical which it's easy to do
3: well those are great just normal parenting tips right to help your child feel known feel loved etc and you, you came up with 12 statements of encouragement Do you have those in your head, or can I read them? Most of them, yes. Okay, let's hit them, because I think it's really good. And you said uh, these 12 statements, and I'm sure this is what you repeat to your 34 foster kids and probably 100 more in the future that you're going to impact, maybe more. Uh, You matter, you belong, you are loved, you are seen, you are chosen. You're a gift, you're not alone, you're enough you're heard, you are brave, you are special, you are known. I mean, it brings tears
1: to my eyes. That sounds like what Jesus would say to them. Right. But those are the words the man used because he, he used my negative to put in positive. So he would say, Peter, I would never survive on the streets for one night. For you to live on the streets for almost six years, you're the bravest human being I've ever met. So he, what I saw as negative, he kind of really showed me like, oh, okay, I, I'm brave. Uh, b- but that's kind of how he truly changed my life by using those words because I had never heard about them. I'm, you know, wait, I'm a gift, you know, I'm chosen. Wow. And those really helped me learn to value myself and in some way get to do better because I began to believe in myself.
3: Peter, just a couple of observations are right down at the end, but I think it's so important. One is the Lord has given you an incredible seat in this life because so few people have made that journey that you've made from abject poverty in Africa to the US and being a foster dad here so that's one observation just the view that you have and what god has done in your life it's spectacular it's unbelievable thank you secondly the heart you have for kids and that desire to help them and to make them feel what you felt known and loved is equally spectacular so let me give you a minute here make your best pitch for Christians in the United States, and of course this airs in Canada, as well, but these developed countries, to put the light of Christ in their heart for a moment, make the pitch to get involved in foster care.
1: Yes, it, it, it is a joy. It's a privilege that God gives us opportunity to be to be there for these kids. And so let's do it, you know. You're single and you're waiting to get married. While you're waiting to get married, you can be a dad. You could be a mom to someone, you know. But to it is our privilege it is our opportunity to change a life you know it is use your and mine job to truly say i'm going to open my house and i'm going to be there for a mom a dad a kid that needs us the most it is our responsibility to how much is given much is required for those extra bedrooms you have think about what do you use them for? Mm. For the knowledge you've understood, you've gone through a difficult time, and you've learned how to be a parent. Yes, you're the best parent that can truly teach and come alongside. Resources. I know we can't all be foster parents, but we can all do something. You know, mm. you mow the yard. Should you mow the yard for a foster family? You make best cookies and bread. Could you make extra for a foster family? Yeah. You love to play video games. Could you take? Teens who are in foster can say, "Hey, I'm gonna take you every week just to play with you," so they can see mentors around that love them in so many ways. It's not just only foster parenting, but it's those that come alongside that will truly change their lives. The kids who need us the most.
3: Well, I so appreciate the admonition that everyone can do something, and that's your point. And we believe that here. Our wait no more program. Uh, Dr. Sharon Ford heads that up for us so capably, and that's her her cry. You know, you may not be in a position where you can actually do fostering, but be a respite provider. Give the family a break. Get qualified, and allow them to. You know, let you have the kids for the weekend so they can work on their marriage, things like that. Do the laundry, right. all kinds of things. Send me a meal once a week. But yes. uh, you know, the ultimate is getting engaged and maybe even adopting kids, like you have done, adopting those children. Needs so much love. And I'm telling you, the Lord's heart is for the orphan. Yes. If you doubt it, man, read Scripture. And secondly, if you work against it, I believe, as a former orphan, you're going to be working against God's desires for them. Mm-hmm.
1: So beware. That you don't do what you can do for these kids. Yes. And yeah. it's a benefit for us as well. I think sometimes we see it as one way, but it's really two ways. It is. You know, I think I've come to know God's love by learning how to love unconditionally. I've come to learn His grace and His mercy and His provision because of His. You know, I am on my knees before than I ever did that I know how to pray because I need that every day. So there are ways on how they will improve our lives as well. Not just that we improve their lives. It's two.
3: Yeah, it's kind of the first lesson you learn, right? Lord, I'm here to do this good work, and then He breaks your heart exactly. in
1: what you learn. This is so good, Peter. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me here <laughs> on behalf of the kids. You know, to make sure that we're seen, well, heard, and known for sure. It flew by, and I hope
3: you pick up this great resource. Now I am known by uh, Peter Mutabazi, and what a great story! I mean, it, it, it truly. I'm floored because I've traveled this world. And this is an incredible, remarkable, miraculous story, your life. And I'm in awe of God for what he's done in
1: India. It's good. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and, and, and that's what I, want. I wanted to write about. We all have difficult time, and sometimes we hold on the past that we fail to see the future. And that's what he taught me. He taught me the life of Joseph. Remember what he said? For why are you meant for evil? God use it for good to save a life. And that's what I, my motto is, that how can I use my past not to dwell on it or drag me into the worst, but really learning as a platform to learn so I can help those in need as well. Yeah.
3: You know, I've been saying this for about 10 years. If you look in the US, we have over, well, probably about three hundred fifty, three hundred sixty thousand 360,000 churches. And this has been a, a mantra of mine. You think of foster care, we have about 400,000 kids in a given year. Uh, In foster care, about 100, 110,000 of those kids are available for adoption. The court has terminated parental rights. There's plenty of ways to get involved. Do you want to change the way people see Christianity in America, in Canada? Man, let's get the church involved. That's like every church, just take one
1: child. Can't we do that? I mean, They don't even have to take a child. Get one family. You can all one rally around, per and then we would do so. Yeah, I, I am the guy. I'm that as much as we want, we are pro-life. We want, want to make sure our children are born. It's the same, that we are there through and through, yeah. throughout their lives.
3: How about the New York Times running a headline that says, Christian Church Wipes Out Waiting Foster Care List? Okay, (laughs) that'll change it all. Oh, absolutely. Get a hold of us. Get more information about our Wait No More program. Get this great book by Peter. Uh, John, you'll give all the details. Mm -hmm. Let's be the body of Christ. Yeah, let us tell you more about ways you can
2: get involved in helping children in foster care through our Wait No More program. Uh, Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459 or you can stop by FocusOnTheFamily.ca to make a donation and request your copy of Peter's book, Now I Am Known. We'll have a wonderful weekend, and join us again on Monday as we'll hear from Dr. Gary Chapman. He'll help you better understand what it takes to have a healthy family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening today to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.